did with Mitch Trubisky, I can at least walk through and be like, at least we went for the guy that we wanted. That's fine. Mitch is a quarterback that we never wanted. You know, you saw... You guys before the show, a lot of people like this one as well. That's the one! That's the one! <laughs> Same this guy... Like- John, you my man! You my man! I love this one! This one's a keeper. I don't care about anybody else. I can remove my team. That's a keeper. Jalen, let's go. Ahead, John. Go. <laughs> I mean, if he brought, if my sister brought him home, I'd be terrified. <laughs> but he but seems like, so sweet at the same oh, time. Oh, he does. With his glasses, with his glasses, I get yeah. it. Also, voices from everywhere. And I always talk about this uh, for the fan, by the fans, for the fans. You know what I'm saying? And so you guys have a unique way of being able to do what you guys do. And I just want to tell you guys, thank you so much because I see you. And if I see you, that means you guys are out there, and that's always Kenny Young. As long as you're not going to be a Green Bay Packer, I have to put that out there. I have to put that out there. You can go anywhere else. Hey, as long as hey. you don't go to Green Bay, we're okay. I know, I know, right? Now I appreciate you guys having me and the support, man. Honestly, like I think we're on this. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to remain professional and compose yourself here for God's sake. <laughs> we. This uh, this whole show is getting deleted, guys. Just so you know, it's not. It's, n- <laughs> it's never going to be on. Welcome back to the Irish Bears Show. It is great to be back. We get to start a week talking NFL draft, Bears football combine. That's always a good way to start the week. Even a full slate of people here today. Noel, Tony, as usual, my normal co-host. Neil, Jacob, we've had you guys on plenty of times before to talk draft. Friends of the show, how are you guys doing? Doing awesome, man. Doing yeah, awesome. Doing good. Glad to be here for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Tony, no, how are you guys doing? It's been well, a few days since we last spoke. It always <laughs> seems like it's ages because there's so much stuff that keeps going on all the time. Yeah, no, it's it, it's going good, man. I'm I'm just at that point now where I'm just like counting down the days until we can get to tampering time, and then we can we can really get this thing going and see which way we're we're heading. But yeah, no, I'm doing good. Thanks. Absolutely. Yeah, no, all good here as well. Just uh, all combined out now. And as Tony says, we're looking forward to the next step already in this NFL process that never seems to end for the year. Yeah, exactly. I hope uh, I hope nobody had any uh, had any bets on the NFL combine or at least not something where you spend what $1,500 and lose 11 million. You don't want to be doing that <laughs> like, uh, like, a, like a certain wide receiver that people wanted the Bears to trade for. But I do digress. Mm-hmm. We are here to talk about the NFL combine, the NFL draft. Look, I'm going to start with yourself, Jacob, because it kind of started off in terms of the first day was probably one that you would have seen a lot of Bears fans being very engaged with because obviously you had some of the tight ends, you had the wide receivers, I think is one that everybody seemed to want to look at. It's also one where we see some of the better athletes in the draft as well. Um, Yeah. I'm going to start with this because and you knew we were coming here because it's everybody was saying, oh, this, the what, the what, they're fixing this so that everybody's running fast. And there goes David Bell running the four, six, five, or four, six, six. And everybody, look, it might be good for people that may want them because he might drop a little bit for the Bears. What was your opinion of that? Was it expected for you? Give us your rationale behind his combine performance. Yeah. So, truthfully, I'll fully admit, I thought that David Bell's combine performance, at least from a testing perspective, was disappointing. I I personally expected him to run like mid-high four fives, 
I, I wasn't expecting him to run as slow as he did. I'm, and you watch his tape, he's not necessarily a burner. That's not necessarily the biggest aspect of his game by any means. So he was never going to be that 4-3-4-4 guy. But at the same time, you know, you could look at that performance and say, okay, that was disappointing. Did he perform well in positional drills? Yes, he did. But a lot of people are going to be looking at that 40 especially and say, does he have the deep speed to be able to separate consistently at the next level? Uh, does he have the ability to stretch the field? Does he have that athleticism necessarily? And to that, I'll say, I get it. It didn't live up to expectations, certainly didn't live up to mine. But you watch him on film and – I, I truly believe that the film tells all with David Bell. You watch a guy who's uh, technically refined. He does a very good job of uh, attacking leverage points through his stems. He's a much more crafty route runner than people give him credit for. And he's tough at the catch point and after the catch. I think that his agility numbers, sure, they weren't great. They're not necessarily indicative of what I saw from him after the catch at Purdue. So – Will he slip a little bit? I think he definitely will. Uh, I'd be shocked if he doesn't go day two still just because of how good he was during his time at Purdue. But I'll be on the record saying I understand being hesitant round two now. Like I totally get that. Truthfully, there are more explosive receivers with higher ceilings like a Christian Watson or even an Alex Pierce. So I do understand that. But if you're looking at him in round three now, if you have a guy of his caliber, someone who's put together that resume, have him falling into round three, I think that's definitely something I'd pounce on. Uh, so I, I'm not scared of David Bell by any means, uh, not necessarily performing well at the combine. He's still a guy that I very much enjoy, uh, even if he did fall ultimately short. Yeah, and look, Neil, this is where I want to bring you in. When we talk about the combine, we always mention, and we will talk about it here today as well, that the most important part of it is the medicals, the interviews. So if a team saw David Bell as a second round pick, right? And it doesn't matter where in the second round, even if he did have a, I guess, a low bar performance compared to a lot of the other receivers, should that drop him down boards? If like Jacob says, if they like his tape, I know what we normally would say. And we talked, we spoke about this last year, that if somebody runs a bit slower, doesn't look as athletic, you go back and watch the tape again to see, can you figure out, does he play at that speed or does he play at the speed that you thought he did? So what would be your opinion of that, whether it be for Bell or somebody else who wouldn't have the best combine performance? Should that actually drop them down significantly? I don't think it drops it down significantly. And guys, you know, what we all have to realize, and I harp on this all the time and all the shows I'm ever on talking about, camps and combines and clinics and all these different types of things is that these things, these events are, are all affirmation, not confirmation. It's all about affirmation in a sense that you should already as a talented evaluator have in your mind, what a kid is, how he should, you know, be, be performing. Um, yeah. You have in your mind uh, some semblance of, of an athletic profile, you know, where he may run, what he may jump, how well he might run, how, how well he might move in, in, in agilities. And I mean, you know, J Jacob said he didn't have that great of agility, you know, drill. Like he had a seven one four three cone. So that's, that's really that, that was in the you know the, the top third of that wide receiver group. He he was kind of middle of the pack everywhere else. And you know the 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 speed thing is one of those things that you see on tape as well, as you pointed out. Um, the thing about David Bell though is that his the the, the cream to his 
his uh, position-specific skill set is his ability to be uh, a, a technician as a route runner, to be uh, in, in, instinctive in how he finds open spaces and how, how he positions his body and, and to, to read what the DB is doing in order to find himself open. Right. So the thing about David Bell is that he, he you know, uh, he's a type of kid that's going to crush interviews. You know, he's a team leader, great locker room guy. He does all the right things on off the field, hard work, a great work ethic, all those different types of things. Right. And so I think like going into this, if you were somebody that thought uh, in, in the NFL, if you're somebody that thought, yeah, you know, potential first round, definitely second round pick, I would say that's a little bit of a stretch to me. I thought he was a third round pick all the way, given that you know how refined he is as a technician as a wide receiver but you're not going to go ahead and give him you know five figures worth of guaranteed money right off the bat just because he does lack some of those athletic attributes if that makes any sense so you know the, the guys that are going to go first second round are, are the special guys you know the the guys that that run the four twos the guys that are six four two hundred plus the guys that have unbelievable catch radiuses all, all those different kinds of like unique uh body types of physical traits and all those different types of things david bell is a guy that He's a very good receiver. He has like really good size. Didn't test particularly off the charts, but he tested adequately enough. Let's go ahead and be honest. The greatest receiver of all time tested a four six six. Yeah, right. So let, let, let's not look too much into the forty. Let, let's look at his forty in terms of what he does. What he does after his start. He, he's not a like super quick twitch guy. So that I, I would imagine that that ten yard split wasn't on par with some of those more twitchy, explosive dudes. But from but, but the last like 20 yards of, of his 40, I'll bet is probably up there with the best of them. So you gotta, you gotta take it, you know, with a grain of salt a little bit. Some of these combine numbers, these times, you know, Karen, you, you touched on it. The, the, the biggest thing about it is the interviews. It, it's getting all the medicals done in a, in a uh, you know, efficient fashion. Right. And, you know, the other thing about it is you get all these guys on the same field performing at the same time amongst their peers in the same environment, the conditions, the surfaces, yeah, that's that's the benefit of seeing all these guys back to back to back back to back. But when it comes down to it, you look at all this on the back end, you still have to trust your evaluation, what you see on the tape, because the tape doesn't lie. Yeah, exactly. Because when we talk about this, we say it every single year, and we see guys that have great forties, and then oh, they have one good run, and then suddenly they're not going to run again. They're not going to run at their pro day. They're not going to do all this because, again, like we've said, it goes back to what you actually see on tape because. That's what makes these guys. It you genuinely don't see a guy that you look at them on tape, they look really good, and then you draft them and they turn bad because of what you saw. <laughs> like if you think that they were good on tape, then you draft them based on that. We see it every single year when teams draft based on whether it be a pro day number, a combine number, that's when you start to make mistakes, and that's what you don't want to see teams do. You want to go back to the tape because you spend all year doing it we spoke about it with justin fields last year there was no rhyme or reason to why he was falling down draft boards last year and it seemed like all of it happened after the season was over and that's where mistakes happen if you're evaluating guys just from after the season on all the other grades you're getting in when you've done all this work when your scouts have, have basically been looking at these guys since they've been in high school <laughs> like it, it it's a really interesting one when we talk about day one right we talk about these wide receivers there was a lot of people talking about the speed element of some of them the athletic traits prior to that day i think a lot of people were hoping to see what were some of the top guys going to do and you saw the likes of alave that had a, a very very good time i think he like broke twitter at one point everybody was <laughs> tweeting about him 
uh, obviously you have a, you have his teammate there in, uh, at Ohio State as well. You had John Dotson who who ran. I know there was a couple of guys that weren't doing all the drills, but the one thing that I find interesting, and Jacob, um, I'll bring you in on on this one, that there's a good variety of receiver here. When you look at, even if you want to talk day one, day two, because you, you can go further, because we saw some of the athletic traits from guys that would be a little bit further than the board as well. But it really is that you get this in kind of fighting where styles make matchups, and it's an interesting one to talk about We when we use this in terms of the Bears. We don't have much to go on because right now there's two wide receivers on the contract. But based on what the Bears could do in free agency, we'll tell you kind of who they're interested in the draft. Now, we saw a little clip of Ryan, of Ryan Poles talking about some speed. Whoever the speedster is that he was talking about in that little video, he wanted to bring them in. But when you look at, I guess, this overall class for the wide receiver group, do you see this as a very good variety of receiver that's not all the same? Like in past drafts, you see, we would have said, oh, there's a lot of guys that are really good that could play in the slot, or there's some of the bigger time wide receivers. This time around, when you look at it, there does seem to be a, a good, I guess, wide variety of styles in this particular draft. Yeah, most certainly. I think that you're looking at a wide receiver group that, you know, going into this season, a lot of people were like, okay, maybe this one, this group isn't as good as 2021 or 2020. I think it's still very close. They might not have a wide receiver one who's on par with some of the top talents that were in the last two years, but it's a very deep class. And I definitely agree that there's a lot of variety there. Uh, You've got your your size and speed guys, uh, guys who are a bit taller and can win vertically, uh, like your George Pickens, your Christian Watsons, your Alec Pierces. Uh, you've got some more shifty guys, like, you know, say a Sky Moore out of Western Michigan is someone that I really like, or Calvin Austin out of uh, Memphis. or And you've just got your route-running technicians, your David Bells. Uh, John Mechie out of Alabama, I think, is a very proficient route-runner. Uh, two different skill sets with those guys, but – uh technicians nonetheless so i think that bodes very well for the bears like you said they have a very bare cupboard at the wide receiver position so uh obviously we'll see what happens with free agency what directions they want to go but by all accounts if they do want to go with a more vertical offense which i've personally you know that's what the rumblings are that they're going to look to go uh, for more explosiveness down the field. Uh, then you could look for a Christian Watson. You could look for an Alec here with George Pickens, maybe. Uh, I think those three in particular, there are you know, more later round guys I could get into. But uh, as far as the early round guys, those three are the ones that I think really uh, could stand out as potential targets just because of the, the explosiveness and the vertical skill set that those guys each bring. Yeah, I think you're you're spot on with that, Jacob. That's what we've been missing, is that those explosive plays for the Bears over the last uh, couple of seasons. And um, I think the guys reviewing the the game tape over over that time have got to be looking at it and saying that's that's where we're missing. We know Justin Fields has got a great deep ball, um, so you, know, you got to go out there and target those types of guys. And um, and you're right, there are, you know, as Kieran was saying, there's loads of different types of wide receivers in there that are going to suit different schemes. But even even in that as well, there's just a lot of really really good players that that are versatile as well, and who can who can who can, can fit in most places. And that's the great thing about this situation. We're picking at 39 just now, you know. We're 
realistically not going to trade up. We're going to trade back, hopefully, and pick up some extra picks. But even if you trade back 10, 15 spots, maybe in 20 spots, you're still going to pick up a top quality. You could potentially pick up a top quality receiver, if not a receiver there, you know, somewhere else, and, and then get a receiver later on in the in the draft. It really depends. I mean, there's guys, obviously, that have kind of boosted their um, the kind of draft stock uh, over over the, the last few days. Um, one of them in particular who everyone seems to be talking about um, is uh, Sky Moore as well. Um, I think he ran like a like a four four or, or it was a low four four anyway. Um, just watching this tape, I had to be honest with you, and this is the beauty about the draft, about the combine rather, is that I hadn't watched a lot of Sky Moore before the combine, and now he's drawn my attention to him. So you're going on, you're watching the tape, and other people are going to be doing the exact same thing. And you go on and you look at him, and he's like, yeah, he's really shifty, but he's a really, really good runner as well. Um, you know, runs the whole tree. Um, he's only five foot nine, but it doesn't matter. You know, like it just is that is that type of dynamic player. Just wanted to ask you guys what you thought about his performance and what you think that might do for him over the next few weeks. Yeah, I thought he was explosive. I mean, obviously, you know, we we saw what he tested. You know, four four one forty. Um, you go to some of his some of his explosion numbers. They weren't, uh, you know, the elite numbers that some of these other guys, you know, blasted out. But you know, just overall, he had a high quality day. Caught the ball well, ran routes sharp. Um, you know, if, if you're comparing him with Calvin Austin, I, I like to liken Calvin Austin to a finely tuned supercar, you know, where you where you see him accelerate, decelerate, corner, and overtake. You know, it, it's it's something special. If you if you if you had access to, you know, some of the uh, Senior Bowl practice tape. What he was doing to those to those DBs and safeties out there, his corners and safeties out there, was I mean he should be arrested for, you know I mean it, it, it was absurd, um, you know he he's an interesting one that I, that I think that uh, I haven't watched nearly as much tape on him as I as I you know, obviously need to, and a guy that I'm going to go back and see exactly what he did to some of those Mac DBs out there because I'm sure he torched everybody, but uh, you know he was one guy that would, you know I would love to see in in a, in a different setting to where he could actually go and see him practice against some of the best instead of just doing his combine stuff, because I'm sure he would tear it up as well, just like Calvin did. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It's a, it's an interesting one, because I think a lot of Bears fans are like, anytime you hear the word Memphis wide receiver, you just like snicker a, li a little bit with what's going on. But it, it is. It's What you said, Tony, I think is really important. And what the combine is great for. Obviously, it's fun to watch all these guys be in one place at the one time. And you mentioned that Jacob, it, it, it's good just to be able to to see that and you get to see the competitors. When we had Thomas Graham on uh, just last week, the one thing that he said is he just wished that he had had the chance to experience it. So it is an experience for these guys and it's something that they don't forget. So it is an important element to it in terms of that side of things. But the one thing I do like that, that Tony said was, even for fans that are fans of the draft and fans of some of these prospects, you kind of see some of these guys where people are ranking them. You're like, oh, I'll go back and watch more of this particular player. So it is a it is an interesting one. Before we kind of talk about this in relation to, we will talk about Bears going, whether they want to go for wide receiver. But first, what I want to do is I do want to talk about some of the other position groups. When we talk about day one, one of the things that people didn't really know about um, was probably the tight ends coming into it. And there was a good kind of mix of it. And we just saw, what was it, today, um, David and Joku got, got franchise tagged. And you're kind of trying to look for 
certain traits that you can get that whether it be that backup tight end maybe if you're talking about the bears it's is there anybody that you saw that stood out because for me most of the people that tend to stand out were guys that you were kind of hearing maybe a little bit later in the draft and maybe kind of perks your ears up a little bit to see some of the numbers that they were able to put up in kind of that athletic frame that some of them have yeah, so a lot of the top tight end performers, at least in my opinion, were those later round guys, at least from an mm-hmm. athletic perspective. Like you're looking at the top guys like Jelani Woods out of Virginia. He's not a guy that's necessarily considered as an early round prospect in the consensus scheme of things, but you're looking at a guy who's six seven and ran in the four sixes. Like that's you know a really good profile for him. And is he raw? Absolutely. A lot of these tight ends in this class are pretty raw. But you're looking at a guy who can run fast. He's really tall. He's lanky. He's long. Uh, he can win at the catch point pretty well. Uh, th- that's someone I think down the line is someone worth keeping an eye on. Uh, someone else I was really interested with is uh, Chigozium Okonkwo uh, out of Maryland. And I think that the length is going to knock him down. He's a shorter guy. I want to say he's like 6'1", 6'2", or something like that. But he's a lot of fun to watch and I didn't get around to him until like a week before the combine. And I'm grateful that I did. Cause I was able to watch him and say, okay, this is a guy that I think is going to run really well. And he did. I mean, he ran, he led all tight ends uh, in the 40 yard dash at what was it? Like a four, five, four, five, two. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. that, that's absurd. Like regardless of length, you know, he's like 238 pounds and he's moving like that. And it shows up on film. He's, you know, one of those H-back sort of guys who can line up basically wherever. And I saw this one play uh, where Maryland used him on a jet sweep. And he just (laughs) – it was so much fun to watch. Just a guy his size moving that fast and with that much determination with the ball in his hands, it was a lot of fun. Uh, But, yeah, no, I think that with this tight end group, uh, there's no consensus – I mean, I guess there's a consensus tight end one. A lot of guys like Trey McBride out of Colorado State, but there's no true tight end. You can say, oh, this guy's going first round. I feel confident about that. It's a lot of late day two, early day three, and I think that's where the meat of this tight end class is. So luckily the Bears don't find themselves in a spot where they need to look very early for a tight end, but if anything suits their fancy, like around – in round five or if you know they pick in round six uh they keep that pick then who knows i think it's definitely a possibility a lot of raw guys in this class at tight end but definitely some talents to keep an eye on for sure yeah it's it's definitely interesting when you kind of look at that and it reminds me very very much of the draft in which cole Komet was like the first tight end that nobody really knew if there was going to be that kind of first round guy everyone was like they're okay and it's there's no absolutely special guys at the top of the class but there was decent enough depth there it's similar enough neil is there anybody that kind of stood out to you um in terms of whether it be the the tight ends or uh, especially in terms of day one because we won't probably talk too much about about the quarterbacks they don't have too much interest in terms of the in terms of the bears but in terms of the the tight end is it kind of the same sort of guy some of those kind of later round guys that maybe you see some of the athletic traits that you might be interested in when it does come later on. Cause as we've seen, the bears do have two fifth round picks and that could be a spot in the draft that where you might end up getting that because you listen to what Ryan Poles even said. And sometimes he said a quarterback's best friend can be even a backup tight end as well. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, from the tight ends group's perspective, the uh, the Aconco kid was really intriguing to me. You know, not not massive, has a H back, you know, body type, jumped uh, pretty well. I mean, thirty five and a half inch vertical. You can see the explosion when he when he uh, burst out of his his track stance running the forty. Um, you know, the Jelani Woods kid, massive, has speed, has range, uh, ridiculous catch radius. Uh, I think it was the uh, the East West game where you saw him perform. Um, if I, if I could uh, remember correctly, uh, you know, just a guy that from a physical trait standpoint jumps off the screen. Um, so he, he'd be a really interesting, you know, uh, piece to look at as we get into those later rounds, you know, personally, I'm not looking at tight end in this draft. I'm looking at all these needs that we have talking about left tackle, interior offensive line, strong safety receiver, uh, Mike linebacker, three technique, potentially if, you know, depending on what they do, um, with, uh, uh, you know, the, the current personnel, um, and, and, and corner, you know, is, is, you know, Vaughn going to be good enough to be CB2, you know, is Vildor good enough to be your nickel? You know what I mean? Guys that we already have on the roster that have a lot of question marks, um, you know, uh, but nickels inside a, a three technique, are they, are they going to resign him? And if they do, that's what he's going to play. You know, we're going to find out a lot about where our needs are after we get past, you know, this initial free agent period. Uh, you know, talking about who they're who they're bringing back, who they're uh, you know uh, adding to the personnel. Even um, you know, to be honest with you, at that Mike position, I wouldn't mind having old old tree back because we've seen him play. We know that he can cover. We know that he plays hard and he's physical. He can run. Uh, the kid from Georgia. So um, that that would, that would just be interesting trying to figure out what we're actually going to do on day two, and, and then obviously that'll determine what happens on day three with those other three picks. But you know, if if I have my druthers, I think that your number one need right now you know, bar none, head, shoulders, knees, and toes, probably offensive line. And then you're looking at strong safety wide receiver and linebacker is your next largest need. As the roster stands here today, assuming they bring back Bilal Nichols, assuming that, uh, you know, uh, Vaughn and and Vildor are good enough in the the cornerbacks room. Um, But you look at that wide receiver strong safety room, that scares you, man. There are no bodies. That's an empty empty room right now. You can almost even say there's nobody in the safety room because Eddie Jackson hasn't been the president for two years. (laughs) <laughs> so uh, it's, it's it's a scary deal right now. So that, that, that's the thing that you really have to sort of weigh as we go into as we go into uh, day two of this draft is, you know, how do you allocate you know, what you're going to do? Is it just specifically best player available weighted by position or do you do you seek out a fix on the offensive line? that's going to be there for 10 years. But we know how deep this offensive line draft is, specifically the interior guys. You know, you look at some of these guys that may be available on day two it's not even close to the amount of guys that are really intriguing that you can find on day three early with those first two fifth round picks. Right. So it's like, okay, do you, do you go ahead and like roll the dice that, you know, there's going to be you know, one of your one or two or three top guys on, on, on your offensive line board there at pick 39. Do you go with one of these elite strong safeties, wide receivers that are definitely going to be there because there's way too many guys with elite traits to, you know, handle to to satisfy teams with needs. Right. You know, so um, that'll be the interesting thing going forward. Like tight end isn't even a thought in my mind when it comes to this draft right now. Yeah. I think that's the interesting thing about, about the the bears though, is because we're looking at, we're going into this and we're thinking, you know, we need corners, we need receivers, we need linemen. We need to see, but we actually need quite a lot. (laughs) You know, it's it's building that depth there as well and and picking up guys in the fifth, sixth rounds are going to to kind of build that depth as well. And as you say, Neil, there's there's a lot of guys 
um, especially some of the safeties that that performed, um, who you know really really athletic kind of um, guys that you'd just love to have in your team in some capacity. Um, I know we're going to probably go on to the DBs uh, later on, but I just wanted to talk about the uh, offensive uh, linemen. Um, I love I, I love talking about linemen in general, offense or defense. Love seeing big guys running really fast and just shocking everybody. I think the D linemen stole the show, but uh, but looking at the the offensive side of the ball just now, I think there was a couple of and it was in, it's interesting again because you've got some of these guys who test really well, and then you've got these other guys who don't test really well, but then when they're doing their positional drills, they look they look a lot better, and it just it's just you know some people are more kind of you know finely tuned for those athletic environments and i think other people are just football players you know um who just know what they're doing i think uh, a couple of the guys that kind of stood out to me would be uh, in terms of performing well in the the um 40 and all that kind of stuff would be guys like cam jurgens and trevor penning i thought they they, they looked pretty good uh jurgens out in nebraska i mean I, I, again he's a guy i hadn't spent too much time looking at but again that whole beef jerky story just got me really interested <laughs> in him and like that's the kind of guy I can get behind, but <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you got um, Ikuno, um, who again is probably going to be one of the top picks in the draft. But I don't think he looked. I mean, he looked good in the positional drills again, but not necessarily in the kind of athletic part of it as well. But what I wanted to ask Jacob was that was there any anybody else in particular that stood out to you on the offensive line side of the ball who you weren't maybe thinking was going to stand out to you before this weekend? Yeah, so there's one guy. Uh, there are a couple that I'll get to that I did think would you know perform well and predictably did. But one guy that I honestly didn't know a ton about, like I watched him but very baseline, uh, was Chris Paul out of Tulsa. And you know I've watched his teammate Tyler Smith several times over the course of this pre-draft process, so naturally I've gotten to his tape as well. But I'm starting to wonder, you know, maybe I haven't paid enough attention to him. Maybe I haven't watch Tulsa tape enough to be able to identify his skill set because he looked really good to me uh finished with you know very good uh explosiveness in terms of uh you know coming off the snap in the 40 yard dash and he ran a sub five uh second 40 yard dash and he was one of those guys I thought looked really fluid and crisp in those uh movement drills and offensive linemen Maybe not the best setting for a lot of these guys because some of them, you know, win with power. They win with technique more so than they do with, you know, showing off that agility. But uh, Paul was one of those guys. He definitely didn't look out of place. I think that that redirectability is something that I really look for. And obviously they do too uh, in those combine drills. And Paul looked coordinated. And I was really impressed with that. Uh, some other guys I knew uh, – you mentioned Cam Jurgens was someone that I was really looking forward to seeing, and he performed well. Uh, Kellen Deesh, I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm gonna have to double check Deesh, on that. But you're right. Yeah, the tackle out of Arizona State. I was I was impressed with him as well. And uh, you know, you watch it on tape. I saw that athletic ability, that acceleration, that lateral mobility. Uh, but he did show up, and he lived up to the hype most certainly. Uh, he was top three at least in you know, 20 yard in the 20 yard shuttle, the 40 yard dash and the vertical jump. So he's among the top performers uh, in a lot of those drills. So he was another guy that really stood out to me that honestly, I don't think is getting enough attention in this draft class. 
you know, you look at someone with his length, someone who's athletic like he is, uh, very impressive to me. So there are a handful of guys, but those were some of the ones that really stood out to me. Uh, so I, f- I feel like looking at all those guys, you're probably looking at early day three with most of them. I feel like Chris Paul, you can make an argument for third round, but fourth, fifth is probably the best spot. And then I could see Deesh fall uh, either going three or four. So uh, if the Bears do end up taking one of them, you know, in round three, or they trade back in round three and acquire some more, uh, you know, some of that mid-round capital, I could see those guys being targets for sure. But uh, I was very impressed with a lot of the offensive linemen, really. Yeah, one of the interesting things that I think we're starting to take in here is that two of the biggest needs that the Bears have you're looking at the position groups in this particular draft and you can go pretty deep in there, especially if you look, if, if the bears go in and they say that they're happy enough with whatever it is, Tevin Jenkins, uh, left tackle or right tackle, and maybe they bring somebody else in on one of the other sides and then they use the draft to try and kind of bolster that interior. Let's say if James Daniels doesn't come back, Neil, if, if the bears were going home on getting a, offensive lineman in either round two or round three is there anybody that you are a very big fan of that whether people are talking about them at that point or a possible guy that may just barely slide out of round one that you would be keeping your eye on zion johnson head shoulders knees and toes out of boston college i absolutely love that kid you know i was able to watch all the the practice film from him in uh mobile for the senior bowl did a phenomenal job uh, you know, the thing about him is that, you know, number one, he's played left tackle for Boston College. He's played left guard for Boston College. He's a fifth-year guy, transferred into Boston College from Davidson, right? So, um, you know, the thing about him is he's got a ton of intelligence. He's got a ton of work ethic. He's got leadership. And, you know, he was one of those guys, if you guys were paying attention to Senior Bowl, like he stayed behind. He made the bus wait for him so that he can get some snaps in at center to show the coaches that, hey, man, this is this is serious to me. I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know – being able to perform at a high level, whatever position you need, you need to perform at. And he performed at multiple different positions at, you know, the senior bowl and mobile. The thing about him is though, guys, is that, you know, he, he didn't test off the charts in terms of the 40, you know, his explosion numbers were good. His movement was really good. Um, but, but, you know, again, it's when, when you're, when you're looking at offensive lineman testing, it's those 10 yard splits. And when you look at, at their body types, it's, it's the guys that have trunk to them, that have some lower body power and explosion. And when you watch him perform, uh, in, especially if I'm going back to the practice film in, in Mobile, watching him perform one-on-one in, in those position drills, man, he has he has the ability to anchor. He ha- he plays with great balance. His inside hand is strong as hell. And really his hands in, you know, to begin with are strong as hell to begin with. His, his ability to go ahead and latch on, get inside leverage, and control the man across from him is pretty special. He's got the the uh, lateral movement. Uh, his mobility is, is, is off the charts. Um, uh, and I don't think there's one guy on my board that has elevated as much as he had from one year to the next, talking about 2020 where he played left tackle for Boston College to this past season, 2021, where he played left guard for Boston College. He elevated himself from probably a six, seven-round pick to, you know, day two, arguably day one. Um, I think there's some other guys that may fall ahead of him just based on the fact that they're just a little bit more special and unique in terms of their athletic and physical traits. But uh, – Zion, he, he has a lot of things that you love. And I think that he would be an easy 10, 10, 12 year anchor at either left guard or center at the next level. And if you're telling me that we have a chance to pick 39 to get our, our starting center for the next decade, 
I'm taking that hands, you know, hands down. That's not even a question mark to me. Yeah, one hundred percent. He's he's kind of one of the early guys that I think I earmarked. And if you weren't going wide receiver, because obviously everybody's been talking about that. Every time you see a mock, it's like wide receiver round two. He's just one that reminds me of well, not the same style of player in terms of the quality that you're going to get with what we saw with Kansas City getting with Creed Humphrey last year. Um, you look, you just look at it, and it's it's almost a, a gimme. And the only reason why, and I know there was a comment earlier on, I'll get some of them up, about how he won't get past 31 or 32. The one thing that we see is with the interior guys, sometimes they do just fall because the positional groups, I, I know teams look for the tackles. They look for, again, you're looking for kind of corners. You're looking for offense, like, some of these like main valuable areas of the football team. Sometimes if a team sees them as maybe a center or a guard, they might drop them down just in terms of that positional value for them. He would be one I would absolutely love. Um, there's one comment I wanted to bring up here. So we'll, we're going to move a little bit to the defensive side of the football because look, we bring in a defensive head coach. You're going to, we will expect a couple of different things. We don't know what's going to happen in free agency. Like you said, Neil, we don't know if Bilal Nichols is going to be back. We have no idea what's happening at the safety position or the cornerback position. So with that being said, Jacob, with this particular one from Alan, he said, was more impressed with the defensive side of the ball. Besides Sauce, who will be drafted earlier um, and someone that you like at corner? Yeah, so in all honesty, I'm not totally sold on a corner in round two. I just don't think the value is great in this class. I think that you're looking late round three, early round four as the true, uh, like the best part of this class from a value perspective. So with that in mind, I, I don't expect the Bears to take a corner super early unless someone falls. One guy I do like that I think he goes round one, but I'm not totally sure because there's a bit of prospect fatigue around him. That's Kair Alam out of Florida. Yes. Uh, he's someone that I was definitely impressed with. Uh, you know, dating back to watching him this past summer, uh, you know, catching up on his 2020 tape, I'm like, okay, this is a guy, you know, he's got some length to him. He's an athletic player, good ball skills, someone I think can make an impact to the next level. And he was solid this year. I mean, he, was, he didn't necessarily tear it up, but he was, he was good by, you know, uh, NFL cornerback prospect standards. And, I think that going into the combine, not a lot of people were talking about him. And I think he came in with, you know, good testing with what he was able to do uh, at six, one and one ninety one. He ran a four, three, nine, which, you know, that's very good time, especially for someone who's a bit taller like that. Uh, splits came out well. Uh, his 10 yard split was 90th percentile for his position. So, you know, that's, you know, really good athleticism. You're looking at of the position. And I don't really understand why a lot of people aren't – I don't want to say aren't talking about him because obviously he's on NFL radars, but he's fallen under the radar in terms of around one guy. I, I don't feel like enough people are really taking into consideration just how good his tape at Florida has been over the last couple of years. So, again, does he fall to the Bears at 39? I don't know. But I think there's a possibility because – there's always, you know, a handful of guys that's like, oh, how did they fall out of the first round? You know, and I could see yeah. Khalil, I'm being one of those guys just because you're looking at Ahmad Gardner, you know, Derek Stingley, uh, Andrew Booth Jr., maybe even a Trent McDuffie or Roger McCreary. Any of those guys could go round five. 
So if that happens and, you know, the demand for Kair Alam just isn't there, then it's definitely a possibility. So I think he's a name to watch. Uh, but other than that, I think that most of the best value comes a little bit later in this draft class. I think you're looking in an ideal situation for the Bears. You're signing someone in free agency at the cornerback position to go alongside Jalen Johnson and then, you know, working in those middle rounds to add some depth to the position because it's honestly pretty lacking in both yeah. lack of a better word. Yeah, you know, trying to be polite. But, yeah, I think that waiting around for a corner is probably the best move. Yeah, and look, Tony, this is something I wanted to ask you as well because it's something we've discussed on the show before and obviously all the kind of rampant free agency talk is about to start with. I know all the franchise tags and stuff today, but it seems like if the Bears are looking at the draft, if they're looking at where the strengths are, where the depth is, it would probably make sense that if they were going to spend on a particular player, it may end up being at the cornerback position to try and shore up that. So you don't have to force it early on, because like we said, if you don't have to force a, uh, to go get a corner and let's say you have maybe one of your top wide receivers that you expected to be there at 39 and maybe Zion falls, you don't have to worry about it. You take one of those guys and you can deal a corner later on if you want a little bit of depth we just spoke to when we spoke to um thomas graham we were saying that there was an expectation that he would have gone earlier than he did he went a little bit later things can happen again that way you could end up getting a a decent value in that fifth round if you wanted so when you see this overall in terms of the cornerback position what are you hoping that the bears do in terms of how they attack that because we know it's a it was a big weakness on the team last year you had Jalen Johnson and realistically nobody else really stepped up to that level to where you could say you were comfortable week in, week out with that cornerback position. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously somewhere they need to make improvements in, but um, how they go about that is still to be seen. You know, we talk, go back to Thomas Graham. There's a guy who's already in house who could potentially be that nickel corner guy um, and fills, fills an immediate slot. Um, Obviously, we spoke to him about that last week. I heard uh, Adam Hoke talking about, uh, he was talking to Coach Fluss today, uh, or, or in the last couple of days, and and, and Fluss brought up Graham as, as as a guy, he actually named him as, as one of the guys they look at in defence kind of thing. So maybe they've got bigger plans for him than the last regime had. Um, but obviously, there's still, they're still going to be... Um, a space there at the in, in the the cornerback room that needs to be filled in across from Jalen Johnson. Um, whether or not you go after it in free agency, it's difficult to tell because corners are always going to cost you an arm and a leg in free agency because it's just that type of position. Um, and we've got a lot of positions and needs to fill. So I think it would be unlikely that we go for any sort of big name at corner uh, in free agency. Um, I think we'll probably if again I, I've I'm predicting we spend more money on the offensive line but um that if it was going to be a big name signing anyway but i think a lot of money is going to be spread amongst the team um so i think there are players later on in the draft who could drop as well it happens every year we see people dropping two three rounds down from where they, they thought they were going to be taken um and uh, and then inevitably you end up with a with a steal um there's there's guys um josh jones and um Josh Lucas, and uh, I think that's his name, I can't remember. But anyway, there's guys later on, you could probably pick up in the fifth or sixth round, 
couple of guys out of Arizona State, I think it is. I can't remember the names off the top yeah, of my head. Yeah, it's uh, Jack Jones and Case uh, uh, Chase Lucas. Chase Lucas, sorry, that's the one, right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, so those those, th those two guys. I mean, so there's there's a lot of options there. There's also a lot of really really good safeties that you could you could look at as well, and even some that may even be able to transition to to the corner as well, depending on how the system is used and and how um, adaptable these guys are. Because end of the day, you know, we're looking at these absolute studs of athletes. So in terms of making the transition to play in another part of the field, um, that shouldn't be the big issue. Um, if, they're, if they've got enough football smarts, they should hopefully be able to, to kind of be flexible and make that transition. So there's a lot of different ways that the Bears can go to try and fill that void. I think in-house is a way to go to begin with. Evaluate what you've got. Look at the, the free agency and see, see what comes up. But for me, I think it's more likely it's going to be a kind of late-round pick for, for kind of corner um, or safety. And there's going to be tons of guys available um, in that that kind of spot round about the the fifth round when we were picking that I would be delighted to pick up. Yeah, absolutely. And look, it, it was interesting when we were talking to to Thomas Graham when he was saying that Eberflus was interested in him last year when he was coming out of the draft that he met with Eberflus himself. So that's also a, an interesting proponent of this that it seems like he may get a little bit more playing time. But like we said, you're still going to need to add at least depth to that cornerback room to where maybe you get lucky and maybe there's a young guy that wasn't getting a lot of game time elsewhere, comes in and can hit the ground running and gets that starting point. And kind of the similar contract that we saw when Akeem Hicks first came in, where he wasn't in that first wave, but he had a point to prove. You get somebody in there and maybe you kind of get lightning in a bottle a little bit. And that's, that's, in, that's one of the interesting ones. But look, Neil, one of the position groups that I was really interested in, it, it kind of comes to the defensive line because I look at this defense for Coach Eberflus and it all kind of starts and ends with that three technique where it's something that's really, really important. We don't know what's happening with the D-line. Like we said earlier, we don't know if Bilal Nichols is back. We're assuming Akeem Hicks isn't going to be back. We look at these defensive linemen and when we talk about freaks in terms of athleticism, that's what it was. Yeah. Like, you look at these guys and like somebody that big should not be able to move that fast, should not be able to be that athletic, but they really were. Like there's a couple of guys that we spoke with now. Obviously, there's some of these guys are gonna go in the first round, but you look at kind of Jordan Davis from, from Georgia had a just phenomenal when you look at him. Um, the one that I think everybody's been talking about since the senior bowl at least was Perion Winfrey from Oklahoma because he's just been crushing dudes. So in terms of when you look at that three technique, because it is an important part of this defense that we're going to be using in, in Chicago, is there any particular players that you look at and you're like, they would be worth it if they were available at 39 or even if it was in that third round? Yeah, absolutely. And, and first, I have to go ahead and, uh, and uh, appreciate you mentioning Thomas Graham earlier. I don't know why I was calling him Vaughn. When I was oh, talking yeah. about the <laughs> in the roster, I, just, I mean, holy cow complete brain fart right there but you know in terms of, of the uh the three techniques i mean it, it was impressive to watch these big boys move you had you had five in that d tackle group that went sub one seven split uh in the 40 which is absolutely incredible you know white and davis the two kids from georgia going 166 and 168 respectively and then perry and perry and winfrey going 168 um you know those those three guys man 
watching those guys run. That was special. Devontae Wyatt, though, that that's that's the guy I'm looking at. If he's available at 39, you know, it, and, and Zion is available at 39, Zion Johnson, the interior offensive line would be tough. What to do you do? There. <laughs> that, that, I mean, it's a good problem to have. You know, it's an embarrassment yeah. of riches at 39 if you're having to make that kind of a, of a decision between the two, splitting those hairs. But uh, Devontae Wyatt, that is a dude that is just a backfield disruptor. He's explosive, obviously, off the, nine, off the line. We talked about that one six eight. Um, you know, he, he's, he's quick. You watch him in drills. And I think when you look at that comparison between Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt, what you see is a guy who's just a little bit more stiff, more one than he is a three. Um, you know, Devontae is a guy that has the agility, that has a lateral movement, that, uh, has a quickness and, and, and a twitch that is really what you're looking for, for that position. You know, Perry and Winfrey, I would say after watching him move live, uh, on Saturday, He's another guy that you look at as being pretty perfect for the position. Travis Jones out of UConn is another dude that, while although not as swift of foot as those other guys, still had that one seven six split off the line. Um, just a mean, strong dude that can you know manhandle the guy across from him. So he he's an interesting one to look at. If you look at it a little bit later, I think DeMarvin Leal is a really interesting case of a guy that really had a lot of smoke around his name after his 2020 season, decided to come back. Didn't have as great of a season. I think he's a guy that could potentially drop, even though his athletic and physical traits are off the charts. You know, he, he tested extremely well. And he's a guy that has always been known as a backfield disruptor. He's a guy I remember scouting in high school thinking, this kid's going to be great. You know, he's going to be, he's, he's going to be all American. He's going to be all conference. He's going to be a high draft pick in the NFL. He had all of this kind of, you know, unique, you know, traits about him from early on in, in his age. And so he's one that, that's interesting to look at. Um, Thomas Booker is one that later on in the draft, who, well, although not as explosive as some of these other guys, is still very productive, uh, experienced, if you talk about his play history, I think a fifth-year guy, um, productive player out of Stanford. And, you know, you, you always love those guys that come from places like Stanford, Northwestern, and Duke, and all those, you know, because they're intellectually capable of, of understanding complex complexities within the playbook. So, um and I'm not saying that all these other guys are dumb. Like, anybody stretch the imagination, but, you know, there's a certain stigma that comes with those guys, obviously. Yeah. So, uh, you know, those are some interesting names that I thought would be, uh, you know, pursuable, you know, once we, uh, once we get to day two and then maybe later on around, you know, you know, one of those top two, one of, one of those uh, first two picks in the, in the fifth round there, um, you know, do we, it's, it's going to come back to free agency though. You know, are, are we yeah. going to resign below Nichols? Cause if we do, we know what he's there for, right. We yeah. know he's going to be there to play the three. And at that point, do you maybe take one of these fifth, sixth round picks and, you know, try to bring in a backup behind him? Because in terms of depth, we don't have that much now. You know, it it's not like Ryan Pace left us with a lot of a, a lot of capital <laughs> and a lot of resources. Right. You got to let those let, let the bear cupboard. So that, that'll be the interesting thing to kind of hash out as we move forward. Yeah, it works bringing in Bilal Nichols when it hit the fifth round. So mm-hmm. if you can go back, if there's somebody there that you like, it's definitely a good position group to do it because you're not having to force a guy in in that day three to have to try and get a starting role when you have other guys that are there if you can have some of that kind of bring comes in like we talk about this and we'll probably see quite a lot of depth be brought in in terms of free agency because i know we we mentioned it we like to see signings all that sort of stuff but i i just can't see the bears spending big on one guy because we've we've spoken about it here there's so many needs and it's both getting starters but also guys in the depth side of things so jacob i guess the same sort of question but i'll make this a i guess when we look further into the draft neil mentioned it kind of slightly is there anybody later on when we look at whether it be 
defensive line. We can even kind of put pass rusher in there because at some point over the next two to three seasons, you're going to have to start thinking of what's the next plan after Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn. We, I know Travis Gibson was brought in in the fifth round just two years ago. Um, is there anybody at those position groups, whether it be a, a three tech, whether it be uh, an outside edge rusher that, because obviously we talk about some of these guys that kind of were off the charts in terms of their numbers. We, you have to bring up the edge rushers. They were, they're phenomenal in the combine. It just, again, it kind of shows just how athletic some of these position groups are this season in the draft. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Neil brought up a guy that I really like, Thomas Booker out of Stanford. I think he's someone who fits that three tech perfectly. I think he's, you know, explosive, pretty uh, agile once he gets out in space. And he's got, you know, good measurements, good length to him, you know, big hands, all that good stuff. Uh, so he's someone that I do like on day three. Uh, depending on whenever he falls, I'd take him in the fifth round. Uh, if he's there in round six, I think it's a no brainer. Uh, I don't think there's a ton of, uh, a lot of heat around his name right now, but I do think that he has a very intriguing skill set. Uh, Matthew Butler out of Tennessee is another guy that I like who can play basically wherever along the defensive line. Uh, didn't necessarily perform as well from an agility perspective, but, you know, still came out with, a uh, you know one seven three ten yard split which you know that's eighty second percentile and he got uh, a five second forty yard dash on the nose with very good uh, explosion numbers in his vertical and his broad and he's someone I think you watch him on film he's uh, explosive in terms of converting speed to power he's got some good uh, a good array of uh, moves in his hands to be able to disengage pretty well so I think the defensive tackle those are two guys that I like along the defensive line and then. Edge is an interesting case because I don't think they're going to target it early, obviously, assuming they keep Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn, and then you have Travis Gibson. You know, that's a that's a strength of the roster right there. So if they do target someone, I think it might be a little bit later. Uh, one guy I do like, I don't know how early he goes, uh, is Dominique Robinson out of Miami of Ohio. I think that he's a guy maybe you could take a, ch- a shot on on day three. Uh, you know, a former wide receiver who converted to playing, you know, an edge rusher. He's six four two six five rather. If you round up, two fifty three with long arms. Uh, came off with a one six seven ten yard split and a four seven two forty yard dash with a forty one inch vertical at two hundred and fifty three pounds. Like that's absurd explosion that you're looking at there, and. I think he fits that mold of, is he raw? Absolutely. You know, but the bears, if they take an edge rusher, they can afford to bet on traits with someone, with someone with that explosiveness, someone who's, you know, quick off the ball, someone who can move around in space pretty well, maybe not technically refined, maybe someone who needs to improve his ability to set the edge in the run game. Uh, but I think Dominique Robinson stands out as a potential uh, later round sleeper, I guess you could say. I don't know exactly uh, what the consensus is on him because there's not a lot of uh, hype there. But uh, Robinson's probably the one guy I'd look at and say, okay, if the Bears use a developmental pick on him, I'd be all for that. Yeah. Just just sticking on the defensive line very quickly before we move on, um, we've had a couple of kind of live mock drafts on the show over the last uh, kind of few weeks. Um, and we always get to around about the sixth round and we have this situation where and he mentioned Thomas Booker. Thomas Booker comes up as an option who, who we could draft. And Haskell Garrett comes up as an option. 
So we've had two different sides of the coin, people arguing for either. I'm just that first like up with you, Neil, and then Jacob afterwards. If you had to pick at this point between Thomas Booker or Haskell Garrett to come in and play that kind of three technique or even some variation of that on that defensive line, who would you prefer to pick if they're both available at some point in the sixth round? To be honest with you, I'm surprised that uh, you're looking at Haskell Garrett as being available in the sixth round. Yeah. He, he's a guy that I would imagine is going day two, probably round three. As you look at it as it stands here today, you know, blocking out all of the uh, the combine, you know, hype and everything else. Um, I, I don't think he's a guy that's going to last past day two. And if he does, I'll be surprised. He'll probably be one of the first picks going in four or five. Um but, uh, I mean, be between the two, I think you're looking at Haskell Garrett as a guy that's much more quicker and athletic than, than, than Thomas Booker. Thomas Booker's strength is that, you know, he, he's number one a technician, number two, he's strong, number three, he's experienced, and, uh, you know, he's smart. So, um, you know, he doesn't have the kind of athletic traits that would make him just naturally win from an athletic standpoint. You know, he's, he's, he's going to beat you with, with strength and smarts. Um, and I think at, at that three-technique position, you need someone that's a little bit more gifted athletically than, uh, than uh, you know, a guy like Thomas Booker. And, and again, I like Thomas Booker a lot. I think that he's he's adequate in terms of, you know, what he brings to the position. But um, if you're going between the two, I think you're going to take the, the quicker, more athletic guy to, to shore up that position. Yeah, absolutely. It's I feel justified in pushing the Haskell Garrett train along the way. So I think we've taken uh, him in every single mock draft we've done. We just keep. I, I, just I can't keep believe that he's it. even showing up on the list at that point, guys. That's that's incredible. Yeah. What, what, what mock draft service are you using? Oh, uh, that's the Draft Network. I think it was. Draft uh, Network. Really? They keep having them going down there. I think it's either in the. I think it might even be in the fifth. I can't remember. Maybe which the fifth. One it is. Yeah. Maybe. But, interesting. Uh, interesting. Yeah, because he's always been one that you you look at and you're like, you always have your draft favorites from an early point and it never changes and he seems to be mm -hmm. one of them. But yeah, look, completely agree with what you're saying there, Neil. And look, to finish up and to kind of recap in terms of the position groups that we were talking about and Jacob, one that obviously people are going to talk about, like I know Neil mentioned earlier on, it could even be just that Alec Ogletree comes back. So we are going to be looking at to see who's going to be that partner for Roquan Smith in the middle of the defense. There's been a couple of guys that I think people were fans of prior to the combine, prior to the combine, had good combines as well. One guy that I keep thinking of after seeing him in like the senior bowl as well was Troy Anderson. Uh, he's one that I think had, he tested very well. I think if people expected him to do that, he he does have good physical traits. Um, what do you make of the inside linebacker draft class this year? Because like we said, we'll know a little bit more in probably like two weeks' time when free agency kind of will die down a little bit to where the debt pieces will come in. But as of right now, we, we're not sure what's going to be going on there. So do you like the inside linebacker class for when you look at it as from a Bears perspective? Or do you think that that might be one that you may end up having to fix in free agency? Yeah, honestly, I'm a fan of this linebacker class. I think there are a lot of guys that fit that Eberflus mold of uh, athleticism, I think is the huge thing at linebacker, having guys who can move around in space. Uh, they have that at Roquan Smith being able to play the will, but I think that uh, they're going to want to find someone who can play the mic. And Troy Anderson is a guy that I've, you know, I've been intrigued by because once uh, he accepted the senior bowl invitation, I didn't know who he was. So I made sure to, you know, watch him heading into that week in Mobile and, I was impressed with what I saw, but 
even then, I you know I saw that athleticism on tape. I saw that explosiveness. I didn't know that he was going to test that well. And, and you're looking at a guy who's you know rounds up to six four two forty three, uh, running a four four two forty yard dash that with a one five six ten yard split, and that you know that insane insane uh, explosion grade. You're looking at a rare athlete at the position, uh, and. He, he was someone, you know, I'm looking going in like, okay, this guy should probably go early day three based off of what I see from his tape. Like he's still newer to the position. He's moved around a lot on, you know, both sides of the ball. So the instincts are still definitely developing, but you're looking at a physical uh, specimen, I guess is the best way to say it with Troy Anderson. So I could definitely see teams taking shots on him uh, there on day two. Uh, I don't know if he's the type of guy the Bears are going to want to, you know, take a shot on immediately, depending on what they do at linebacker. Because, you know, I, I also agree that, you know, I bring back Alec Ogletree, you know, just assuming that's like a, you know, a cheap option you could bring in. I think he fits the defense well and he was solid, all things considered. Uh, but if you're looking for someone, I think Anderson, he's definitely raw, but the tools are there. Uh, Chad Muma out of Wyoming is another guy that I really like. I think that, you know, similar in terms of like that length and athleticism, but I think he's a bit more polished in terms of uh, instinctual ability, just that uh, processing in between the tackles, filling gaps in the run game and all that stuff. Uh, man, there are a lot of athletic linebackers. Like I can, I can go for ages basically about guys that I think could fit the system. And I don't know if the bears are going to draft a linebacker early, if they take one at all, but I think they'd certainly be wise to because you're looking at so many different athletes at the linebacker position. Uh, I have off to the side here some uh, relative athletic scores and the amount of elite grades that I see in this off-ball linebacker class alone is just absurd to me. And it, it matches on tape, don't get me wrong, but just seeing it all out here in a spreadsheet just kind of surreal. So I think that that's definitely uh, a strength of this class and the bears would be wise to take advantage because uh, I'd be shocked if Ibraflus doesn't have at least a handful of guys. He says, okay, I'd love to have this guy on my team. Just the explosiveness, the agility, the speed, uh, the hard work, the tenacity. It's just, it's, it's a deep class. I will say that. Yeah, absolutely. Like we, I think we've spoken about a, a lot, Tony and, we can, I know we kind of come around when it gets into that kind of second, third round area, you're thinking, is there anybody there that Iberflus sees as someone that he can coach up and get to that level? Like we've seen what he's been able to do previously for a lot of the inside linebackers that he's coached, which makes it exciting for him to have Roquan Smith. Look, one of the guys that we keep kind of talking about and kind of seeing where he's going to go is Damon Clark from LSU. And look, Neil, What's your opinion on him? Because there's a lot of people are very high on him. They think that he's an outstanding guy, but because there's so many different types of linebackers in this draft class, he may just be one of those guys that does fall that little bit. We spoke about it towards the end of last year in terms of when it came to even the first round. Well, I don't think Clark's going to be a first round pick, but we spoke about Jock, for example, and we all expected him, oh, maybe he'll go at the end of the first round ends up going into the that second round. We've seen what he's been able to do with Cleveland. So is there anybody in that kind of physical specimen that you look that you look at and you just think how kind of enticing that would be to pair up with Roquan Smith? 
Yeah, the uh, Clark kid out of LSU, he's a really curious case. He was a guy that I was kind of like right along with you, thinking that he'd probably be a first-round guy. And it seems like the steam's sort of uh, fading on him just a little bit. And maybe it's because if there's a, there's some other guys that, you know, as you get further on to the tape, you get into these workouts, you get into the the interview process and everything else, the, the whole you know, the, the, the whole complete uh, you know scope of the pre-draft process, and maybe some other guys are just passing him up, that he still has that value, but it's not – nearly as, as high as it once was, just given other guys have presented even like a greater value since the season. I love DeBone Clark. I, I think he has, I think he's got really good speed. I think he has great length measurables. Uh, he's got really good size. Uh, he was a playmaker in, in the, the toughest conference of college football. Uh, he was a guy that I would welcome onto, onto the Bears roster. I think there's a couple other guys that I think are even more freakier than he is. Um, you know, Nicobe Dean from Georgia, if he manages to fall to pick 39, Again, yeah. the embarrassment of Rich's argument between Zion and a guy like N'Kobe Dean, if, if Devontae Wyatt is there. Honestly, just give me all, all eight of those guys on defense from Georgia. Just give me all eight of them and I'll be good. You know, just, yeah. just pack my locker room with Georgia defense. All those guys ran fast and, you know, jumped high and, you know, tested out of the barn. And even the – give me the punter. The punter ran <laughs> I mean – What are they know. feeding those people? Like, Athens, no, Georgia, no. man. You know, I, I got faster just watching them. Um, but yeah, the Kobe Dean is one that I think is borderline special. And, and he's another one of those guys ever since high school, you knew that he was going to be a, a special one. And if he manages to be there early day two, you got You got to think about pulling the trigger. Uh, two other guys that I think that, that really impressed me is uh, the Christian Harris kid out of Alabama. Who's another kid that, you know, the, the intriguing thing about Christian Harris, I think he's played every position on the football field throughout the course of his career. Talk about high school, college, you know, he was he, he was an athlete coming out of Louisiana. Uh, you know, he played running back and tight end and linebacker and edge rusher and safety. And he was just all over the board at, you know, 6'2", 240 pounds. You know, he tested really good in high school as well. It's not like this guy was a late bloomer. You know, he went to Alabama because he's a freaking dude, right? Uh, he's a guy that I could see in coverage. He's a guy I could see blitzing. Um, he, he's a sideline, a sideline guy. And so is Channing Tindall from Georgia. I go, I go back yeah. to Georgia again. You know, Jenny Tindall from Georgia, you know, oftentimes you think about um, some of the guys that make their name as class. You think about why do they make their name? And it's often it's often because they, they ran faster because they 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 had an explosion play, you know, during the season or they, they did something that stood out during the senior bowl. And that's the reason why I think Channing Tindall is a guy that really shoots up in value. You know, Channing Tindall, you, you think back to that one play that he made on on special teams where he he, he flips his hips. You know, plants and spikes from the hash, makes all the way to the sideline, makes a play at the sideline on the returner. That to me was special at the size that he is. And then he goes and tests that, that same way at the combine, runs fast, jumps high. The broad jump was absurd. Um, you know, he's a guy that I think could be special, uh, the, the kind of length that he brings to the table as well. So um, th those those guys are definitely, to me, the day two guys and guys that you really have to think about at pick 39, pick 71 about pulling the trigger. Um Troy Anderson's an interesting one. I think that, you know, if you, if you, you know, have any contacts in NFL scouting circles and you ask him, where do you put Troy Anderson? I think you'll hear one guy say round one. I think you'll hear one guy say round four. I think you hear another guy say round six. He's just all over the board right now in terms of where he falls on draft boards. It's really hard to project that kid just because of how raw he is. You know, he's a former skill player. I think he's a former running back. He's a former safety. He's a former this, that, and the other thing. But, you know, the thing about him is that he just has the rare, you know, athletic, trade right now that is, is really hard to pass up and i heard a you know former you know nfl you know director earlier today saying that you know he reminds him of a of a young urlacher like a early 2000s urlacher which 
you know, it's kind of intriguing considering who we're yeah. representing as scouts right now on the show. Right. Um, you know, he's, he, he's a guy that uh, I know I'm personally going to go watch a little bit more on him. I wasn't necessarily as high on him on the limited film that I had watched on him. Um, but it may just be the fact that he is raw, that he doesn't need to be coached up. And I'll tell you what, if you're bringing a, a raw athletic specimen into an outfit like the Chicago Bears run by Matt Eberflus, you know, Matt Eberflus's thing is that he develops guys, right? Yeah. You know, you have guys like Jalen Smith crediting his whole the whole reason why he was as as productive as he was, you know, pre-injury was because he got developed by Matt Eberflus. You know, the uh, um, I'm, I'm forgetting his name right now, blanking the uh, linebacker from from Baltimore that was like comeback player of the year or uh, you know oh. newcomer of the year or whatever the case may be. You know, a few years back, developed by Matt Eberflus. You know, some of those other young backers too. Sean Lee, developed by Matt Eberflus at, in Dallas. So, um, if you're going to depend on you know bringing a guy like that in to be developed, it's the right place to be. I'll go ahead and tell you. Um, you know, and then you know, the Wisconsin kid. Uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Chanel. Yeah, Leo Chanel. Leo Chanel. He he was a kid that that tested forty inches plus on the vert, and you know sub four, six in the 40th, you know, he, he's an interesting guy that, you know, another one that I want to go back and do a little bit more of a finer detail and evaluation on, on film with, but, you know, he's a guy that uh, kind of turned my head a little bit, somebody that I want to go back and look at more, didn't know as much of. Um, you do have some interesting, uh, you, you've got some interesting options here, depending on how the first round falls, which is then going to, you know, determine how the next, you know, three rounds go. Speaking of, <clears throat> speaking of Georgia, uh, one question I did want to ask you guys, and it is actually coming back onto the offensive side of the ball just briefly, uh, but just while we're talking Georgia anyway, uh, was was regarding uh, George Pickens. And I wanted to just ask, obviously, you know, there's no one's really talking too much about him just now. A lot of the other wide receivers are getting a lot of, a lot of press. But he's been out there, obviously ran a 4-4 a or something or other, um, you know, Obviously, want to highlight the people that he's got that speed there. Coming off of a major injury, obviously get injured in March last year, um, and and was back by the end of the end of the season, contributing again. The question would be though, if he drops to thirty nine, and you've got these other guys there, this embarrassment of riches that you're talking about sitting there, do you go? Do, 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 would would you pick a guy like Pickens over a D lineman there, just for the the sheer explosive kind of plays that you can get? That deep ball um, target, you know, he's got he's he's got tremendous hands, um, you know, the speed, the length, all that kind of stuffs there. The thing I think is holding him back is that injury, and it's maybe putting people off. But no one's really talking about him the same way as I think people maybe should be talking about him. So, um, so Jacob, if if he's there at thirty nine, but you've also got you know maybe Wyatt sitting there at thirty nine or um, Johnson, for example, if that's not going to happen, but. Do, do you pick – would you take Pickens? Would you feel confident taking Pickens and saying, this guy could be my number one wide receiver? Yeah, so in that case, I would feel comfortable taking Pickens. And it's definitely a debate, though, because I'm looking at Devontae Wyatt. He's a guy that he, I had, do have a very high grade on uh, and someone that I like his athletic ability, uh, as I do with a lot of defensive linemen in this class. So I think that, you know, whether it's uh, Devontae Wyatt or DeMarvin Leal or, you know, even like a – Logan Hall, maybe, or a Perion Winfrey, if any of them are available at 39, I think that that's something you got to look into as well. Uh, but I do feel comfortable taking Pickens at 39 if he were available. Uh, I think that he, I think he's a first round talent. It's just, you know, the injury situation. 
uh, is knocking him down a little bit, but he's fully recovered. And we saw the combine, you know, he tested well. Uh, so I don't think there should be a whole lot of room for uh, concern with him. I, I know there's the whole debate about whether he has enough uh, in the way of like a sample size, like a substantial sample size like that. But I think that you're looking at a guy, he's lengthy, he's athletic, he's explosive. Uh, he's got good hands, very good ball tracking ability, ball skills, uh, coordination needed to, you know, adjust to the ball in the air and uh, high point the ball effectively. There's a lot to like with him. And, you know, he's maybe not the most uh, technical route runner, but he's not, the cupboard isn't bare there. You know, you, there's something to work with there. He's got at least a decent enough understanding of leverage, the ability to work a, a defensive back one way and then cut the other. There's some the variance of promise there. So I, I'd take Pickens in thir at 39 if he's available. Uh, I mean, granted, with Zion Johnson, it becomes a different story, and I feel like that honestly is a bit of a toss-up. I might lean Zion Johnson in that case, but uh, I think Pickens, from a pure value perspective, is at the very least worth considering if he's there at 39. He's in the conversation, if not at the head of it. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting one when we talk about this kind of the value that we put on that kind of 39 pick. Because obviously when you don't have a first-round pick, you kind of focus on it, but I look at it this year and look, we've just mentioned a couple of guys that could end up falling and you can really get somebody that can produce for you early on at that pick because like I even just look at it at the wide receiver position. Well, we see all these different players and you constantly say, Oh, well, this guy is going to is a first round talent. This guy's a, but often we, we say that about, about, 40 to 45 guys you're like well there's only 32 picks in the first round so you see how this kind of comes about but i guess one of my questions to you neil is as it does relate to that wide receiver position because as we mentioned earlier on there's only two guys on the contract right now we don't mm -hmm. know what's going to happen in in free agency would you feel more comfortable if the bears went for one of those, whether it be interior offensive linemen, three techniques, or if one of those kind of freakish linebackers was still there and actually wait a little bit on these guys, because we look at it and people are projecting six wide receivers in the first round. When we look at overall, we know that that doesn't always happen. We say there's going to be six. So there's probably going to be maybe four and then mm -hmm. two, two guys fall out. And would you prefer to see the bears either select someone in, like we said, one of those kind of freakish athletes or guys that you are so confident on that you would have them in that first round? Or do you think that this could be the perfect solution for the Bears to move down a little bit, get a little bit more capital? Because we're talking about how there's really good depth in some of these positions in whether it be the third round, fourth round. And if you fall back a little bit in the second round, you can still get a hell of a prospect there. Yeah, you know, the wide receiver position is one that I would like to see them target in round three with that pick 71. You know, I think that when you look at, at your needs, strong safety wide receiver linebacker, you know, the best available with weighted with need, whoever's available at 71 that, that can fit that need the best, I think, is where you target that. I think that, you know, the second round pick at, at 39 is really where you need to target the trenches. You know, yeah. if, if a freak beast like Devontae White is there at 39, it's really hard to say no to that, knowing full well that you have a you have a, an offensive line room right now that has probably three or four needs across the front. Um, 
you know, and, and again, that's, you know, we don't know if they're going to bring James Daniels back. You like a lot of what he brings in, in terms of, you know, his measurables and his athletic ability, his ability to anchor and his ability to move. Um, you know, he could be a guy that they decide not to give up on just based on how much resource they put into trying to develop that kid. You know, it's, it's really hard to give up on something like that. And I totally understand that. But at the same time, he hasn't exactly produced. So yeah. that, 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 that's where you got to weigh that. Um, I, I do see them bringing him back, though, because of you don't want to just go ahead and like, you know, throw out every every all, all the effort that you put in over the course of the past couple of years. Um, so let's assume that he comes back and he's potentially your right guard or your center. Um, you still have needs at left tackle because that's a complete question mark right now with Tevin Jenkins. He hasn't exactly been available uh, since he's been in Chicago. And we don't know if he can play the position to begin with. Uh, left guard is, uh, you know, Cody Whitehair is, you know, not exactly fired up about Cody Whitehair right now. You know, what, what's, what, what are they going to do with him and how are they going to progress forward with him? Center right now with, with, with Mustafer, uh, he's, he's serviceable and not the answer. So, um, you know, you, you got you got a bunch of needs across the line, a lot of question marks across the line. I do feel like, you know, left tackle and interior offensive line is, is a need that must be addressed as soon as possible with the best possible talent that you can get. Um, unless, like I said, there's a, there's a freak beast available at 39, then it becomes a little bit more of a question. Trading back and getting getting picks is an interesting is an interesting interesting thought process that I was probably against a couple of weeks ago. The last time I talked about it, you know, on with the guys on my show that I've kind of warmed up to since. Just looking at some of the depth that you have accumulating towards the back end of of day two, and then also in the third round, you know, a lot of these interior offensive linemen that showed well in the combine will probably end up being fourth, fifth round guys. So that, that's what you kind of have to weigh. I'm not sure that they're going to make a decision on that until draft day. I think like yeah. it's going to end up being a game time decision. I think you go into it knowing full well, expecting to take an offensive lineman with pick 39 and then taking the best available, you know, position weighted by need with pick 71. And then looking at, you know, those, those two picks early in round five, that one pick early in round six is like, okay, you know, regroup, come in on, on, uh, you know, Sunday, or uh, Saturday, I mean, coming on Saturday, see what the board looks like, see how things play out round four, and then make moves then. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's an interesting conversation. But I, I do think that, you know, all things you know remain equal. Offensive line is the way you have to go with, with 39. Yeah, I think it's an interesting scenario when we talk about that top of the second round because that's actually where you see the majority of trades happen. Like we talk about in, in round one and normally – like when we actually talk about during round one, you don't actually see too many trades happen. You might see two or three in total, but we hear so much activity that happens at the beginning of that second round. Like you don't know if one or two of these quarterbacks falls out of round one and then teams start to get desperate and more of those high quality players start to fall. And then it becomes to that point, like you said, Neil, it might be, a little bit too difficult to trade down because you're like, you can't pass up on some of these premier talents, especially when you don't have a first round pick. So it is interesting. There's always ways to get more draft capital. Again, there's certain guys that we don't even know if they're still going to be on the roster that guys could get traded from, from now until the draft. So it, it is a very interesting right. kind of thought process when we go into it, Jacob, when, when we talk about that and around the top of the second round, what do you prefer to see your team do? do you, would you prefer just stick at where you are, pick one of the top guys that are going to be available? Or do you see that within that second round, there's going to be enough talent that 
you can fall back a little bit and you're not really giving up as much in terms of quality, in terms of who you would select in that second round. Yeah, so I think it, it varies a lot depending on who's still on the board at 39. But as a rule of thumb, generally, I think that with where the Bears are at right now, they have a bunch of needs, both, you know, whether it's immediate or long term. And w- with that in mind, I do think that stockpiling picks and moving back and, you know, adding that mid round talent, I think that that's ideal. It, it's much easier said than done because it requires someone to actually want to trade up with you. But yeah. in theory, if that does work out and the Bears are able to move back, uh, pick up some, you know, maybe a, a selection in round four, uh, potentially multiple, you know, stock up on round five, you know, future draft picks, stuff like that. I think that's definitely something they have to consider because I don't remember who said it. And I feel bad for uh, mentioning this tweet without sourcing who it's from. But someone said that, like, there's a big drop off from like the first of the top like 10 ish guys in this class and everyone else, but that 20 to like 60 range is very narrow. Yeah. And I I honestly have to agree with that in this class. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of value there in the second round. So I think that the bears, regardless of wherever they pick, if it's 39 or they move back into the forties or even the fifties, I think they'll be able to get a quality contributor right out of the gate and someone who can make an impact on, you know, whether it's on offense or defense, but uh, I honestly think that I'd prefer to move back, but we'll see what happens. I, I think they'll be active in free agency to try and fill some holes and then just draft best player available. But uh, I'd, I'd love to tra- uh, trade back. That's my personal philosophy, but uh, that's just where I stand on it. Yeah. Like my, my biggest thing, and look, I keep going. I'm probably, it's probably similar to yourself, Neil, because you said earlier on you were kind of not really wanting to do it as much. I find it goes through my head the same the same way. And Tony, I'll bring you in on this as well. Especially with the Bears not having that first round pick, I feel like if it gets to 39 and there's legitimately five or six guys that you have as first round talent, I find it difficult moving back when you aren't getting one of those because you didn't have a first round pick. So like we said, if whether it be Zion Johnson, whether it be one of the linebackers, one of the defensive lines, you could even have, I know it's in terms of the positional values, not as much, but if a stud safety is still there, or uh, if you like a particular corner that's fallen, I have, I think I'd have a propensity more to stick at 39 and potentially trade back in the third round, if you can, or even if you have to make some sort of trades to try and get some more picks to kind of move around like i just feel like when you have that option to get a premier talent that sometimes you need to go with that like we've seen this like we always talk about the cincinnati bengals right since the super bowl we spoke obviously with joe burrow all that sort of stuff and people mentioned jamar chase but people seem to forget that at the start of the second round they got t higgins who had a really good impact for them we talk about i just mentioned earlier on the show with cleveland and them getting Jock at the start of the second round last year and the impact that he had. Now, if they trade back and they don't get him, then, like, what is that drop-off? And I think that's really important. If you're at that point you're targeting a wide receiver, I think that's where you could possibly go down because there are plenty that you can say, oh, well, this fits this system, this fits this one. We've spoken about six or seven guys today. We'll, we'll continue talking about these different guys, but 
if there's someone in one of those premier positions that you do really need as well, I find it really difficult trading down. Tony, what's what's kind of your mindset going into it if that was the case? Let's say there was three or four guys that you really like and maybe one or two of them you have as definitive first-round talented players. Would you be happy in trading down or would you prefer just just put in that selection card, pick whoever that is that you see is kind of that first round talent. Yeah, look, if if you're at a point at 39 and you have five, six guys there who you've got a first round grade on, who you're convinced, you have conviction in that they can come in and do a job for your team, then you turn the card in and you pick them because if 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 you don't do that, you trade back, someone else is going to come up and get them. You trade back and maybe the guy that you thought was going to be there is not there when you trade back and then you just get yourself into a scenario where you've just been trading back to pick up picks, but what you're picking up is, is filler more than killer, you know? So I think if you're in a situation where you've got, um, you know, sh- surefire first round talent that somehow has dropped to you at 39 um, or, or a guy that you consider to be of that ilk, then you, you turn the card in that that's end of the day, you know, the draft is great, but, You've got all you've got these lottery tickets that you're playing with, you know. You don't know how things are going to fall, and you can get the situation where I've got five tickets here. Um, do I go the pick the the cash in just now and get that great player, or do I hope that I can trade back, get some more tickets, and get some more great players? You know, then you're just living on a hope that that might happen. Whereas if you're sitting in a situation for me personally, and there's a guy there that you as absolutely love, and you know that's going to can, uh, contribute from day one, you take him. It's a no-brainer yeah, for me. I agree. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And it's 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 always going to be a part of the conversation, especially when we talk about this, because obviously when when you mention it on whether it be draft Twitter, just people that are really interested in it, people just want more picks. But sometimes you have to leverage the quality versus the quantity as well. So I think that's it's important. Like, like Neil, you, you've spoken about a couple of guys here that if they're at 39, it's you have more of a headache of which one do you actually pick rather than risking moving down and losing out on on all of them it's it's definitely i think it's one of the conundrums that we're going to be talking about over the next couple weeks really until we have a little bit more clarity on who's going to be on this football team because there's like we've mentioned before there's so many holes and this is where i want to bring to our last point it's kind of one of the debate topics that's been going on on bears twitter for the past 24 to 48 hours I put out a tweet about it and it just like blew up out of nowhere and didn't really think of it when I when I put it out. And it's all to do with Khalil Mack. I don't understand it, okay? I understand people want more and more draft picks, but the amount of people wanting to trade Khalil Mack for second, third round picks and saying that, well, you're going to save $6 million and I keep trying to go on, but then you're paying $23 million for a guy that's not going to be on your roster. You're most likely not going to have someone at the same impact that Khalil Mack can have if he's healthy. You're also trading at a low value because he only played six games last season. And if you really wanted to trade him, next season's actually better off for you in terms of cap-wise anyway. When you see some of this stuff, and whether it be Khalil Mack, whether it be... I don't know, you can talk about Eddie Jackson, you can talk about Eddie Goldman, some of the higher profile guys on the team. For a team that doesn't have a lot of blue chip players, do you understand this kind of conversation? Because for me, 
it just does not make an ounce of sense. I mean, it's just a bunch of nonsense to begin with because you're not getting second, third round picks for Khalil Mack at this point in his career. You're talking about a dude that's been beat up, barely available the past, you know, two, three years, aging. You know, that is not something that get, that nets you day two picks in the NFL. I'm sorry. It's, it's just, it's, 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 it's a bunch of people playing way too much man and not living enough in the real world. That, that's yeah. not what happens in the NFL guys. <laughs> you know, all you guys listening, I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of you listening and watching that understand that the others that want to try and create these pipe dream scenarios of, you know, getting, you know, two second rounders or a second and a third for Cleveland. That's not going to happen guys. That's just not the way this stuff works. You'll, you'll be lucky if we get, you know, a, a good amount of day three picks for him. You know, you, you, nobody's going to, no sane GM out there is going to pay for busted up, aging, and barely available and, and unpredictable at, at that point, too. Because, you know, we thought, okay, well, you know, after a good offseason of, you know, 2020 doing absolutely nothing and 2021 offseason, offseason doing absolutely nothing. Assuming he's going to be, you know, healthy again, he missed a bunch of games this year too. So it's, you know, no, no, nobody's going to pay all, all that, all, all that kind of capital to to get that kind of a player. You know, it's it's just the reality of the situation. You know, yeah. it'd be nice. It, it'd be nice if we did have that kind of of chip in our pocket to be able to dangle out in, in in front of guys. But you know, I'm not sure if there is anybody on this roster that carries that kind of gravitas in terms of trade value. No, like I, I completely. I completely agree with that in terms of even if like even if there was somebody that was going to do it right you're probably not going to be getting like with like because again if you can get Khalil if you can get him healthy and if you can get him to be one of those guys that can be productive in 2021 well then you can or 2022 well then you actually have a proper trade chip next year next year because if you trade him now where he only played six games, you're not going to get the amount because that's exactly what teams are going to think that, well, is he, is he past it? Is he just going to be an injury prone player for the remainder of his career? If he can then come back next season and prove that he can be that kind of elite pass rusher and you still want to trade him, well, then you actually have something of value there. But at the same point, like there is no point in trading a guy like that. If you're only going to be getting whatever it is, a fourth or a fifth there's literally no point because you're not going to get that quality you're not going to get that impact and again it's like you said neil it's seems to be this very much this madden type kind of generation of trades where we see these all the time prior to the draft and i, I can't remember who it was last year i think it was like akeem hicks and people were like oh you'll get a third round pick and like you're not even going to get a sixth round pick for Akeem Hicks last year and they couldn't even trade him so like it is it's a weird conversation that comes up every single year with different players I find it it's odd with with Mac when like we said he would be trading at a very low point of his career where he didn't he only got through six games but at the same time people going out there and saying that a guy like Travis Gibson can replace him I just want to kind of put that out there because i've seen this a lot on twitter and i went back and checked what were the the numbers for both while he had a nice season travis gibson played nice. in what 11 or 12 games and he had seven sacks khalil mack played in six and he had six sacks so like mm -hmm. again there's a difference in production there jacob when you hear stuff like this what what's your opinion on it because like we said we're not a team full of blue chip players we've just had 
was it an hour and 30 minutes talking about there's no depth on this team and the Bears need so many different players that right now it probably doesn't make sense in trading one of your starters that if he's healthy can have that impact especially if you're not getting decent draft capital for them yeah so in the case of like a Khalil Mack or even a Robert Quinn I think that uh, you listen to trade offers in this sort of situation. I think that you're not totally shutting down the possibility of, you know, there's no chance we're moving on from Khalil Mack, no chance we're moving on from Robert Quinn. If something does blow you away for either of those guys, or, you know, let alone any other veterans that you have on the roster, you listen to it, in my opinion. But again, it's much easier said than done. And when you factor in their ages, when you factor in how much money they're going to be making, uh, you factor in Max coming off an injury this year. Uh, Robert Quinn had injury issues over the course of 2020. That's going to, you know, bump their trade value down a little bit. So, you, you know, like you mentioned, you might not be able to get great value for what they bring to your team. So uh, I, I think that rushing to, oh, we need to get rid of them to get younger and to get picks. Uh, it's a bit premature. Uh if again, if you get a deal that you know blows you away, absolutely do it. it you know, if you're even if you see a, val- a deal that's like, okay, you know, I like this, even if you're it's not you know blowing you away, but you're a fan of it and you can get along with it, I think it's something you should take because again, this Bears roster is it's a couple of years away and it's you know not going to be the least, <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be fixed in just one offseason. So uh, if there's something that truly suits your fancy, then I think it's worth considering. But again, with all, you know, a lot of these guys that are older, you know, they're expensive like that. You're not going to get great value because you're taking on a lot of money for someone whose best days are probably behind them. I, you know, we don't know what Khalil Mack's going to be like coming off of injury, but even then, if he's still in his prime, he probably only has like maybe a year or two left before he starts to fall off. Uh, Robert Quinn coming off of an incredible season, but it's going to be very tough for him to maintain that level of pace going forward. So you can't expect, oh, he's going to be, you know, one of the league leaders in sacks every single season. Like that's a very high bar to reach. And for someone who's older like that, that's going to be tough to, you know, come to fruition. So I, I don't, I don't think they move on from either of those guys this off season. Uh, you know, don't shut it out. If I'm the bears, you know, just listen, just to see if anyone comes to you and, see what you know is thrown out there but uh ultimately i think keeping them around is the best place the best situation to go with going forward even you know you have travis gibson who i think is a really good rotational guy and a solid starter uh but just because you have travis gibson doesn't mean you need to you know dump khalil mack for next to nothing or robert quinn for next to nothing either yeah, yeah I, th- exactly. I think I think you need to kind of strike a balance with these things because you look at if if you can get Mac fully fit, obviously he only played six games last year. If he's had the full kind of half of the season there, plus the full off season to to get over that injury, if he goes back to any that form from kind of twenty fifteen through to twenty eighteen, um, then you know you, you're laughing. But even if he's not quite as hitting the heights of that, you have to still think of the production from him the impact he makes on the team, the intangibles that he has to the team. There's, there's a lot of different things there, and you have to say, is it worth giving up a guy who's going to give me 10 sacks a season and be a destructive influence that's going to assist the rest of the kind of guys on the line or in the defense for making plays as well versus taking a, you know, a fourth-round pick, a fifth-round pick? 
and taking you know, getting rid of the money. I mean, at the end of the day, money cap can be manipulated. Things can be done with cap. Don't let that cloud your mind too much. And don't don't then look at oh well you know look at the fifth round picks that we got through pace and you know great guys I'm I'm sorry but none of these guys are Khalil Mack even Khalil Mack who's now thirty one who would still would still um they're still he's still a better player than than all these kind of twenty four year old guys that we got in the fifth round it, it's you've got to strike a balance here and don't just see the money as a as a thing or a couple of picks as a thing. Look at the production versus what you'd actually be getting back. And for me, certainly this season anyway, I would be I'd be keeping Khalil Mack, I'd be keeping Robert Quinn, unless Jacob, as you said, you know, something ridiculous came in the door. But that's not going to happen. You know, it is going to be yeah. a third, the fourth, the fifth, something like that, you know, if you're lucky. Yeah, look, if Green Bay this year and the New Orleans Saints in previous years are able to make signings, bring guys back when it looks like they have absolutely no room on, on the cup. The Bears are in an okay situation to where they're going to be able to spend money. They're going to be able to structure these deals in a way that is going to be conducive going forward. There's players that are going to be coming off some big deals over the next two to three seasons where there is going to be way more wiggle room for the Bears to maneuver. And it is, a, it is an interesting one. And like, again, like these are the types of conversations that I see when we talk about Khalil Mack and we talk about Robert Quinn and we talk about kind of some of these guys being traded. And like, like the obvious one is if you were going to trade Khalil Mack, if you could get first, yeah, I think you would trade almost anybody on the roster right now. You could get a first round pick because other than like Justin Fields, because realistically there's nobody else. Well, Justin Fields and Roquan Smith, like, other than that, there's not really anybody that you can say with definitive purpose that they are a blue chip kind of potential Pro Bowl, all pro type player, right? And that's what you want to get to. If you feel like a guy is that and somebody was stupid enough to give you a first round pick for one of them, then yeah, obviously you would take it. But again, there's the reality of the situation is you don't get that. Like, the most you're going to get for any of the guys that you're trading are going to be mid-round picks. You might get a fourth for a starter that you want to trade. If you dangle out Eddie Goldman and there's a team that are badly in need for a nose tackle, you may end up getting them to kind of reach a little bit to give you something. But again, a lot of these guys are highly paid. And when that happens, it reduces the amount of capital you're going to get as well because these guys have to take on those contracts. So it's it's a tough situation. There are ways to kind of create some cap, um, some excess cap this year as well. Like there's some post June 1st cuts that can be made, but it's definitely an interesting conversation going forward. The good thing is, like we mentioned, there is a pretty deep draft class coming in here. There's a lot of guys that are in this draft class because there was a shortened amount of prospects that were in last year. So when we even look at the UDFA market this year, it's going to be an interesting one. So look, Neil, Jacob, it's great having you guys on. We always love being able to talk draft with you guys. You guys know your stuff. You do a lot of work. Um, Neil, I know you have a show coming up later. Do you want to tell people about it? Yeah, this is uh, show one of two for me today. Uh, at uh, Barroom Network, we have Draft on Tap coming up at 9 o'clock Chicago time. Me and uh, my co-host, uh, Danny Shimon, or co-scout Danny Shimon, I should say, or host Aldo Gandia, runs the show. Danny and I do all the evaluating and, and uh, posturing, capitulating, and whatever – 
you know, four or five syllable word you want to throw in there as well. Um, but we go at nine o'clock tonight uh, talking about the combine, same type of stuff that we've been talking about in this show today. Um, we'll probably be on for about an hour and a half, two hours and uh, go through position groups and needs and all those different types of things. So uh, come on in if you're free. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, you know, the interesting thing is, I just want to touch on this real quick before we jump off. Speaking of salary cap, the NFL just came down. It's got the notification north of 208 million uh, coming up in, uh, you know, 2022 season. So um, that's a boost from 185 and change from last season, yeah. you know, $26 million that we, extra that we have to play with. So that'd be interesting to see, you know, what, uh, what polls ends up, you know, doing with that extra you know, coin in his pocket. But, uh, you know, again, a lot of these things that we're talking about, you know, combine draft, everything else, uh, no, nothing's really gonna, you know, have a set direction until after we get through free agency. So let's see what we do in terms of some of these positions of need, who we bring in, who we resign. And uh, let's all get back together and talk a little bit more about that from there. Yeah, absolutely. It's, absolutely. it's always an exciting time, especially when you've no idea what way a GM is going to go. We've always mentioned it, Tony. We'd have a pretty good idea if Ryan Pace was still the GM and how this was going to go. But when it Treat comes up, to, first maybe, round, wide receiver. He'd <laughs> be trading up for Chris Olave and giving up probably three first-round picks over the next couple of seasons. But yeah, like it, it is, it's an interesting one. Even just talking about free agency, we, we all want to estimate what the Bears may do, but we have absolutely no clue because we don't really know what philosophy polls and Eberflus with him because we always see that kind of in conjunction with each other, the head coach and the GM, especially when they come in at the same time. So it is going to be really, really interesting. Jacob, you had a, a load of different articles up over the last couple of days. You did your winners, your losers from the different days. Is there anything else that you've coming up or kind of that you want to promote and let kind of people know what to read or anything else coming up for yourself? Yeah, for sure. So these next couple of weeks, uh, I've been trying to do a bear seven round mock every week over at Windy City Gridiron, uh, just to you know be able to introduce some new prospects, some new opportunities, some new uh, like different avenues each time. So this week I'm going with all combine standouts. So uh, that should be fun. That's coming out tomorrow. Uh, I have my within the next couple of weeks here. I'm going to be having my draft guide coming out on my Patreon. Uh, don't have a set time for that yet, but I'm very excited for that. So, uh, that's up on my profile. You can you know feel free to check out, uh, and yeah, that's about it. Just, you know, stuff over at Windy City Gridiron, uh, should have some more stuff coming out at DraftWire over the next couple of weeks. And, uh, occasionally me and my, uh, my buddy, my co-host, uh, Dan Meehan over at Windy City Gridiron, we're going to, uh, do some editions of our podcast, the Lunch Pail Draftcast, uh, every once in a while too in this pre-draft process so uh yeah that's honestly where you guys can find me uh it's been a pleasure being on every time i very much enjoyed it so thank you yeah absolutely like like we said we we enjoy having you guys on we've had you on multiple times we had you guys on last year always have to continue our uh, little tradition here it's always great having absolutely brother some of, yeah, yeah it's fun it, times it's, yeah 100 we we love kind of the work you do both you guys work tremendously hard when it comes to the draft and i think it helps a lot of people that get to see certain bits of tape and when you guys kind of go in a little bit more deeper onto it it is really interesting so we thank you for coming on you'll definitely be <laughs> be coming on the show again because it's always good time talking to you guys yeah absolutely thanks for having us absolutely again we can only end the show with first of all make sure you do like the video make sure you subscribe you can listen to us on all your audio platforms again it's 
whether you prefer Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is, make sure that you do on Apple Podcasts, review the show. We always like to see some of them. If you want to reach out to us, you can reach out to us on Twitter. Our DMs are always open. If you guys have any suggestions and things that you want to see, people that you want to see on the show, make sure that you reach out to us there. We're always, we try and get back to as many people as we can. And all we can say is before we end the show is bear down. Bear down.